Welcome to the Husband Material Podcast, where we help Christian men outgrow porn. Why? So you can change your brain, heal your heart, and save your relationship. My name is Drew Boa, and I'm here to show you how. Let's go. Hey man, thank you for your interest in today's conversation about psychiatric medication for Christian men outgrowing porn. You are going to get answers to questions like, well, how should I view this from a Christian perspective? And what are some of the specific medications or approaches that I might consider? You are going to get amazing wisdom from Adam O'Neill, who is a physician assistant. He practices Christian psychiatry, and he's the author of the book, The Mind After Eden, Psychiatry in a Post-Fall World. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. It might bring up some deeper questions, which is why we are doing a live Q&A later this month so that you can get more guidance about your specific situation and how medication may or may not fit into that. Enjoy. Welcome to Husband Material. I'm here with Adam O'Neill, a physician assistant, fellow graduate of Wheaton College, who is here to help us understand how psychiatric medication can possibly help men on the journey of outgrowing porn. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Drew. It's a it's an honor to be here with you. Okay, who is Adam O'Neill? It's a it's a good question, and one I'm I'm still figuring out. I mean, uh, it takes a lifetime, I think, to to understand who we are. And but you know, I would say that if if I had to kind of summarize it, that you know, I'm a person who's been very curious about the world that God has made from a young age. Like I was that kid who got in trouble for doing impromptu like home science experiments that made a mess, and you know, uh, microscopes and pond water and all that good stuff. But I knew that from a young age. I also knew that I really loved people. I loved working with them, and and in the non weirdest, creepiest way possible. I said, I I love studying people. I love understanding them uh, and just seeing how they work. So combining those uh, two loves kind of brought me to where I am. But, uh, you know, initially I I studied behavioral science. Uh, You know, it's the field that looks primarily at, at certain behaviors and how do we change them? How do we adjust them? But it was really after I went to Wheaton and started studying more uh, cognitive you know, psychology and neuroscience that this interest in sort of understanding, you know, the neuroscience of pornography and and how it impacts men's lives, you know, very pervasively. One of my uh, thesis projects was on the neuroscience of pornography. And I really understood it after that, how, how prevalent this issue was in that I feel like every lunch from then on until the end of the semester was filled with some sort of a, a meeting from a friend or, you know, fellow student who was like, Hey, I need to hear more about that. I need to understand what's going on. So, you know, this is a very uh, important issue. Um, I then got my medical training at Thomas Jefferson university in Philadelphia. And it was only recently that I moved out of Philadelphia into owning my own practice just outside of the DC area. So I find myself uh, just outside DC and Virginia currently, but brief overview of who I am and how did I get where I'm at? You too. Why is this topic so important? You know, I, I think honestly, three, three big reasons. First it's pervasive. I mean, your organization, uh, other prominent ones in the field have really made it known that this is something that, you know, when you compare uh, church populations to the general population, they're, they're quite similar. So this is a, this is an issue that 
you know, needs attention. Secondly, you know, we need, I think, uh, as Christians and as a church, an increased understanding of uh, addiction, of how do we think about this issue, you know, not just from the perspective of our, our faith and our, our spiritual walk, but from a neurologic perspective, from neuroscience and some of the advancements that we've we've seen uh, in those fields. So definitely that's an important component. And then, you know, thirdly, there's some growing body of evidence. There's there's new studies and case reports coming out about the potential for medications to actually be helpful in in helping uh, men outgrow porn, men and women, in the ways that they work on those specific receptor types, and I'm sure we'll we'll chat about those. But because they can be stewarded, you know, well, and I think you said it well, is that it, it may be, it possibly could be an important part of someone's walk that we should we should be talking about this issue. You're working as a Christian in the field of psychiatry. So what are some of the common objections you hear from Christians about what you do? Mental health struggles or, you know, specifically as we're talking today, struggle with, you know, pornography is a faith issue and it should be addressed through increased prayer or faith alone. You know, that's a prominent uh feeling, uh, viewpoint in the church. Um, you know, to that, I answer that by saying, you know, it, it is a faith issue. It's a, it impacts our, our spiritual walk, but it's also a physical issue, you know? And one of my common phrases that I talk to my patients about when they say, I'm worried, I just need more faith is, well, I need more faith. We all need more faith. I mean, that's part of what this is all about. And simultaneously, the use of medications don't negate the need for more faith. You know, we, we can pursue both. It's not an either or, but a both and, one of the other big reasons why someone might not pursue medications or might might hear objections towards Christian psychiatry is because perhaps they distract from some of the heart work that should be done. You know, again, kind of leaning on that idea of these are faith issues, they should be, you know, answered with a faith response. But, you know, honestly, I think uh, Mike Emlett, who um, works through the Christian Counseling Education Foundation and just recently was speaking at a conference, I think he said it best when he said, you know, trying to do heart work while addiction, anxiety, depression rages on is, is kind of like trying to do a deep sea diving expedition while there's hurricane force winds on the surface of the sea. So, you know, really in order to dig deep, in order to do the hard work that must be done, we, we have to calm those winds. We have to provide the the soil on which we will grow, uh, you know, this this important work that needs to be done. So probably one of the most common referrals I get in the field is actually from counselors who say, you know, we really want to do the heart work. We just are finding that with the level of various mental health concerns that are going on, that's just not, it's not possible. So we need some help and I'm glad to assist. I'm hearing you say, we don't have to choose between spirituality and psychiatry, that they can go together and that this can also go together with the deeper work we do at Husband Material of healing our hearts and our childhood experiences. Mm, Absolutely. Absolutely. I would say that although psychiatry among all the medical specialties is the most, uh, if you did a survey of of psychiatrists, more would report either having no faith or being uh, identifying as an atheist than any other field. 
for me personally, I believe no field, is it more important that we have a firm understanding of our worldview, what it means to be a body and a soul? And so, yeah, absolutely. Like when ideally in, an, in a perfect world, a, a psychiatrist would be able to have the discussions with patients about what elements of this might be coming from a faith uh, perspective faith issue and what elements might be coming from a physical or biological issue. So definitely, I think the combination of those two things is is absolutely essential. Adam, I want to read a quote from your book, The Mind After Eden. The very beginning, you say, there are differences of opinion in how best to incorporate, if at all, secular psychological theory into a Christian psychiatry practice. The biblical counselor might ask, why should we look outward when we have been given everything we need for right and healthy living in the Bible? The integrated psychologist would respond, because God made it and it is good. I loved that. Thank you for that. Yes, yes, absolutely. I, I know we both went to Wheaton and, and Wheaton ha- is, does a great job of, of showing God's goodness and God's beauty through what he has made and made well. So absolutely. Right. So part of my hope with husband material is to explore the many different beautiful gifts God has given us spiritually, psychologically, relationally, physically. And this is adding a really important dimension to the conversation because I know that a number of guys have maybe thought about medication, but have concerns and others are taking medication and they have doubts and they maybe have a little bit of shame and wondering, is this okay? So your voice in this conversation is so helpful. Thank you, Drew. I'm, I'm honored to be a part of it. And I think if any of us uh, would like to be more open about the struggles that we go through, I feel like the church as a whole would benefit to see you know, I'm not the only one, you know, and I have that unique opportunity and vantage point, you know, as accepting referrals from nearly all local churches to know that these issues um, are very much common to man and that you are not alone in your struggle and you're not alone in your questioning and in the uncertainties. And I would just encourage you to continue taking those concerns to God, continue uh, working through them with your counselors and with your doctors and trust that God is good in the midst of, of the struggle. How do you view this issue of attachment to pornography from a Christ-centered perspective? It's important that we understand ourselves as both a physical body and an immaterial soul spirit, that we do believe in this dual nature of, of what it means to be human. And I, I've often said that you know, God is very good at making beautiful physical things. I mean, go go to see the ocean, go watch a sunrise, go to the Grand Canyon. Like God makes beautiful physical things that display his glory. And he also, although I haven't seen it myself, have, you know, seen through scripture that he makes beautiful what is also spiritual, purely spiritual. You know, there's uh, angelic beings and things like that that are made a spirit and, and are are glorifying to him. And yet when he comes to make humans, when he makes us the chief or crown jewel of, of his creation, he chooses to do it in this 
bimodal way and, and of being both physical and spiritual. And I think that's very purposeful. You know, in, in, I practice integrated Christian psychiatry, and so that's sort of how I relate to, you know, my faith and my medical work. Uh, and that, you know, one of the core tenets of that practice is that the mantra, so to speak, of all truth is God's truth. Like, if you find something to be true, if you find it to be true through the microscope or the telescope or through his word, his revealed word, the scripture, it comes from him. He's the source of that truth. So given that, you know, we then look to the good gifts of of common grace in medicine, in psychotherapy, and we look to steward them well. Um, so I think it's it's a mixture of all those things that 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 set the stage for understanding mental health and and these issues from a Christ centered and a clinical perspective. What would you say to someone who says, "God made us very good, so why do I need some other?" medication to supplement that. I think that's where we do truly lament the impact of the fall on every aspect of what it means to be human. So from uh from cognitive uh processing ways that we look at the world, we see faulty ways of thinking. Um you know, there's lists of cognitive distortions which is a very humbling thing to look up because I, I experience them every day, things like mind reading where it's like I know exactly what that person is is thinking and saying or you know is is thinking about me or about what I've said or black and white thinking of it's always all or nothing. So that's just one example or two examples of how it's impacted our psychology. But then I don't view it differently that when I was in surgery rotations and participating in, in these intense surgeries that I would see tumors and, and uh, you know, sickness that is also a result of the fall. I'm not saying sin, personal sin necessarily, but absolutely from the impact of the fall. So, um, you know, I, I think God has made things that are very good. He made it and said it is good. But we also have to acknowledge the impact of of the the fall on not just our spiritual state and our relationship to God, but also in our bodies and minds as well. And that's what your book goes into a lot, The Mind After Eden. Yeah, it was uh, my initial exploration into a lot of those concepts. How do I think about this fallen world? How do I think about practicing as a medical provider in it and trying to continue that redemptive work that God is about? I mean, he is healing and performing miracles uh, in and through these good gifts every single day. And I'm just honored to to play a part of it in it. Let's talk about some specifics. Hmm. How can certain medications practically help Christian men on the journey of outgrowing porn? Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, we have to start out with understanding reward circuitry. You know, it is very similar in the majority, if not all types of addictions that we see. So, you know, deep brain structures towards the center of the brain are responsible for reacting to behaviors that we perform that are generally good for our species. So food, you know, eating food, interpersonal bonding, sex, you know, these are these are things that are good for us as humans and are good gifts that God has given. Normally, the frontal lobe, which is our more 
higher order executive functioning area helps us regulate these impulses and say, okay, I, I may want or desire this in this instance, but perhaps there's a better way to accomplish that. Normally, when we do something that's good for our species, we're rewarded for it. We want to do it again. Uh, the problem is when what we'd call supranormal stimuli like pornography come into this good circuitry that God has made in this, this good system and hijack it. They they give a biologically uh, supernormal, as I said, uh, m- stimulus that uh, mimics connection, mimics intimacy, mimics the procreation of our species but is nothing, uh, you know, of the sort. It's actually quite the opposite. Um, you know, so when we look at the use of medications, and and it, I'll certainly talk about specific ones, but we're looking at either impacting the reward circuitry process, this sort of hijacked, uh, hijacked process, or look at uh, the ways that um, we may treat sort of a primary condition, which uh, pornography is actually the symptom of. So, you know, things like depression or anxiety or even trauma, uh, which I know you, you, you've done work in these areas and have, have kind of explored some of that. But uh, treating those symptoms uh, is effective at helping with pornography use because pornography is not the main problem. It's it's the symptom, you know. So if we treat it directly and we don't get to the deeper issue, you know, we're really not going to make much progress. So let's let's talk about you know certain medications. Some of the most common that I would prescribe things like uh, a, a, an agent called naltrexone. It's it's an opiate antagonist or opiate blocker, and it's gained in popularity for helping people with a variety of addictions. Everything from online gambling to overeating, alcohol use, uh, and uh, compulsive masturbation, pornography, among other things. That has gained uh, popularity, and uh, we're still in the case report uh, phase, especially as it relates to pornography. So we don't have large-scale randomized controlled trials yet. Um, Lord willing, I think that that's coming. But the data that is coming out uh, in case reports is is promising, and and it's been helpful. And then if we're looking at you know treating depression or anxiety, some of the most helpful things that I look at are sort of the SSRI medications, the anti- typical antidepressants. Um, and this is more focused on when we're seeing pornography use as as a self-soothing mechanism, you know, rather, you know, for things like untreated depression or anxiety, rather than it being a primary like addiction pathway uh, concern. SSRI if I'm correct, stands for Selective Serotonin Reuptake Inhibitor, right? Boom. You got it. You got it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And they are very common. And people, oh my goodness, the looks I get when I, you know, various things I'm prescribing uh, for and someone says, why are you giving me an antidepressant? I'm not depressed. And, uh, you know, much of psychiatry is producing a med and then finding, oh my goodness, this works for like five or six other things that we had no idea. So yeah, these meds uh, work on the serotonin system. So that's why they they work uh, as a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, as you said, but they don't just treat depression, you know, and, and there's a lot of off-label use. In fact, naltrexone used in pornography addiction would be an off-label use, meaning the FDA did not say, you know, rubber stamp this for being like, yeah, this is what this med is for, but that doesn't mean it's not effective, you know, so that's, that's sort of what we're talking about when we are, are talking about these meds. And with every medication, there is also a downside. So what are some of the potential drawbacks with any psychiatric medication? 
Mm. Yeah, we are always looking at side effect profiles of, of meds. So, you know, and it, it has to be a risk benefit conversation with a patient. So we are basically uh, assessing whether or not the potential benefits that we would get out of trialing the med uh, are outweighing significantly any potential um, side effects that may uh, come up. So, you know, for things like naltrexone, um, you know, there, there are and can be issues with sleep maybe headaches. Anytime we're putting something in my in your stomach from supplements to medication, there's a potential for stomach ache. There can be some mood fluctuations. And then we need to be mindful if patients have liver or kidney issues, because that's where a lot of the processing of these medications occur. And then as an opiate blocker, if a person needs opiates for, for severe or chronic pain, uh, we would not want to give them something like naltrexone, which would block the effectiveness of that. With things like SSRIs and uh, the antidepressant category, you can see you know, more gastrointestinal issues, uh, weight fluctuations, dizziness, headache. But again, with, with these meds, uh, usually with time, the side effects will remit and, and go away. So I would say 95% of the time, side effects go away. But it's that time, you know, that 5% where it's problematic and we really need to consider whether or not it's helpful. And then more ethos-wise, I'll say, you know, medications don't do the hard work. Like, as I said, they set the stage for hard work. So if we were to, to look at these meds and say, you know, this is going to solve this issue for me, or this is going to be the end-all be-all of this, it's just not going to be there. It's, it's, it's going to hopefully create the stage on which to do the difficult hard work, as we talked about. So I would say, Anytime we sort of swallow a worldview along with the pill of like, this is going to cure me and this is going to take it away, that's when we need to be very cautious. So in addition to side effects, I just add that piece about, you know, we still need to do hard work. We need to uh, be diligent about that. That's so helpful in setting expectations. One thing I've heard from a few men is that certain medications will dampen or mm -hmm. reduce the range of emotions that they feel which can be helpful for calming the storm. Mm. And yet at the same time, it seems like something is lost too. Mm. It, it is true. And, and I would say that the goal for my patients, what I tell them is when I am uh, assessing for the effectiveness of a med, I want to know that that med helps them feel more themselves, not less themselves. So if a med is making you feel less yourself, uh, that's a problem. You know, I, I truly believe that when the fit is right with these medications, patients will say to me, I got, I, I feel more myself or a loved one will say, I got my mother back or I have my father back. They're themselves again. And that's what we're really looking for. Sometimes it's a matter of changing the med. Other times we just need to reduce the dose. You know, one of the problems, and I think in the field is we just frequently go to really high doses and, and because we want to see results and when a much lower dose could potentially be helpful. So I would say if 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 anyone is is experiencing sort of an uh, a dampening of who they are, who they've been made in Christ that we should certainly be reassessing and looking at are there changes we could we could make. Yeah, that's so helpful. When setting expectations for a medication, what's the typical length of time people will use them for? 
It does vary, of course, patient to patient, but there are general guidelines. You know, it depends first on what we're treating. But if if we have like, let's say, uh, a certain addiction or, you know, maybe we're treating anxiety or depression, we usually try to find the right fit. And that can take some time, frustratingly long, unfortunately, in some cases. But we, once we find the right fit, we like to continue that med for around six months to a year. That time frame uh, the reason I think it works is because that allows for significant brain changes, structural brain changes to occur so that once the med is tapered, what we're left with is all of those good thinking habits, all of those good structures so that the med is not needed anymore. Now, there are cases where meds are needed long term. And I, I, I've worked through that from a faith perspective, from a philosophy perspective, and I'm okay with that. Uh, you know, I think each person needs to work through how they feel about that. But uh, yes, some cases of of resisted depression, anxiety, and addiction may require lifelong treatment. Uh, so that's definitely a conversation that you know someone would want to have with their their provider. I really liked what you were saying about how we need to set our expectations appropriately for the result of potentially taking a medication for someone who's struggling with porn. What can they expect? You know, the the case reports and the things that I've read, as well as the experience that I've seen with my patients, is generally a reduction in the frequency and intensity of desire to watch pornography. So we're looking for both of those that, you know, they may find that there's still some desire there to pursue pornographic material, but it's not as intense as it was. And what that allows for is just the uh, ability to use all those coping skills and the and the the things that uh, have been put in place as safeguards to get that extra extra mile there. And then in terms of frequency, we do see uh, an actual numerical reduction in frequency. And if if a person is pursuing these meds, it's likely that they'll be asked to quantify in some ways the amount of time they spend, uh, number of sessions, you know, things like that, so that we can actually track that over time. And uh, I would encourage. Uh, uh, listeners to 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 see these uh, these case reports and and look at the charts and look at the graphs that have been posted of the substantial decreases in both frequency and intensity that occur on on these meds. And what's helpful in some of these studies is that they used what we call an ABA design. So you know they put the medication on that'd be the A portion. They uh, watched the improvement, then they withdrew the medication, and they sort of watched the the frequency increase, and then they put it back on uh, and and watched it uh, you know go back down. So that that just shows us that the med is actually doing what we are looking for it to do. Um, now, someone might say, "Well, does that mean I'm I'm going to need to be on this for life?" Well, no, but you know, using frameworks of over time and creating good habits and things like that, coping skills, yeah, we, you know, we will see long-term uh, remission. It seems like this can be scaffolding or a helpful crutch, like when you're building a building or rebuilding your body after a big injury, like you need extra support in order to get to where you want to go sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, the imagery that comes to my mind is, uh, you know, 
my dad likes to watch those like wilderness, like people who build cabins in the woods and things like that. And I, I know nothing about, I know nothing about that, but you know, people will go out and purposefully build these cabins using only primitive tools and it takes them forever. And it's a beautiful end product and they get that end product. But then, you know, we have other resources and there are things that we can utilize these these tools and good gifts uh, that that could help. And I'm often the one kind of looking at the screen saying you could use, a, a, a you know, a power saw, you know, and things like that. So I look at them as very helpful. You know, we can brute force a lot of things in life. But I sometimes I wonder if God is saying you know, I've given you good gifts in this difficult walk that you have as a Christian. Like, will you faithfully steward them? And, you know, even to push a little bit on some people, it's like, is it primary, is it maybe a pride thing of like, I don't want to take anything because that would mean something about who I am. It's like, that should be worked through because, you know, if there's one thing that is needed to be weeded out of us as Christians, pride is the top of the list, I would say. So there's, there's, these are good gifts, you know, to kind of bring it back around. These are good gifts and we can steward them well to help get to sort of the same end product. Adam, what is your best advice to someone who's considering starting or stopping medication? Mm. Yeah, first, uh, prayer. <laughs> it seems like a, a you know very obvious, but I think it is uh, an important piece that anytime, and I view this as a clinician, that anytime I'm handing over a script, you know, I should be in prayer if that this is the right thing for my patient, and I hope that my patient is accepting it prayerfully and saying, "Is this right in my walk with Jesus?" Uh, secondly, uh, talk with your doctor. You know, if you are interested in some of these as I mentioned, off-label uses of, of these good medications, perhaps even bringing some of these case reports to physicians because many are going to be unaware. They're going to not have searched in their databases pornography and medications, you know, because the secular world is often not asking those questions. So you may have to come prepared and that's okay. You know, informed patients are are good patients. And then third, include your support network in the decision-making process and in tracking progress. You know, medication does not exist in isolation to the rest of your mental health care team. So, you know, whether that be a biblical counselor, accountability partner, a pastor, elder board, whatever that is, you know, it, it, as much as you are comfortable, I would say welcoming them into that process and making sure that they are all in agreement that everyone is is comfortable with how we're moving forward. And thankfully, Adam has provided those case reports for us and the links to them are in the show notes. So if you want to check them out, go down to the description for this episode and you will see five case reports. Yeah. So these case reports are good because they they do cover a variety of of things, but primarily they're looking at um, compulsive sexual behavior, pornography consumption or use, as well as one of them combined uh, alcohol use and subsequent uh, pornography use. Uh, and so, you know, each of these is one particular person's experience as documented by their treating physician of the use of these meds and how it it worked for them, the, the pros and cons. And so they're good tools as you consider whether or not it might be helpful. Nice part is there's some lingo that might be, um, you know, more, more medical in nature, but a lot of it is very approachable. So these are, these are good uh, resources for your, your listeners. Wonderful. And if you have more questions about this, Adam and I will be doing a live Q&A in the Husband Material community later this month. Very excited about that. 
basically, this is your chance to go deeper into some of the specific situations you might be dealing with. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. And I, you know, bring your questions and uh, we'll see, we'll see what results from that. Awesome. Adam, what is your favorite thing about freedom from porn? You know, I have loved seeing people find Jesus to be more sweet, more rewarding, more fulfilling than a lot of the shallow wells that we all run to. We often cry out when God takes something from us. Uh, We really want it. Uh, But it's because he has so much more for us in Christ. So my prayer is that for myself and for your listeners, that we find him to be our deepest, most satisfying and abiding joy. Amen. May there be healing and growth and redemption using everything good God has made. Amen. So thank you so much for being with us. Guys, if you want to get a copy of Adam's book, The Mind After Eden, Psychiatry in a Post-Fall World, then go down to the show notes and you'll find a link for that. Gentlemen, always remember, you are God's beloved son. In you, he is well pleased. Mm -hmm.